Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the Logistics of Logistics, I talk to experts in logistics and transportation, warehousing, fulfillment, supply chain, and of course, technology. And during these interviews, I'm always the one asking the dumb questions. I ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. Today's topic is the life science supply chain with my friend, John Marrow. John is the president of RRD Supply Chain Solutions, a global provider of life science supply chain services with decades of experience in developing and delivering value add solutions to the life science sector. When it comes to the life science supply chain, the bar is higher, much higher. To learn why, please check out my conversation with John Merrow. How's it going, John? It's very good. I'm here in wet and windy Ireland. Uh, great to be on the show and appreciate the invite. Very nice. I'm excited to talk to you about this topic. It's such an important one and such a difficult topic for most supply chains to manage. So, John, please introduce yourself and your company. Where are you calling from today? You already said you're in Ireland, but tell us a little more. I'm John Marrow. I'm the president of uh, RRD Supply Chain Solutions. So first, maybe introduce RRD. RRD has been around RR Donnelly for 160 years, heading for 160 years, obviously quite some time. People probably know us predominantly as we were a print company for the bulk of that. But over the last 15, 20 years, it's really evolved into a, a services company, still with a heavy print packaging emphasis. But servicing a lot of um, different businesses and sectors across the globe. And the platform I work for, Supply Chain Solutions, we basically provide end-to-end global supply chain solutions for key sectors, tech, life sciences, med device. So we help our clients get their product from manufacturing, be that in Asia, China, all the way through through completion and into the hands of their end customers, patients, point-of-care and such. So That's RRD and Supply Chain Solutions. I've worked in this sector for over 30 years, lived, worked in eight different countries across the globe, Asia, North America, and Europe. Yeah, 30 years and counting. John, when I was, last night before we did the podcast, I was looking through, I'd had some exposure to RRD not a few years back. I think you you guys used to have an agent model. I don't know if you still do, but I was talking to one of your agents years ago and I thought, okay, this is a a North American logistics company that that started in print and did a lot of marketing. And then last night as I was looking, and I'm going to probably blow these numbers, but you guys work with 90 some percent of the Fortune 100. You are worldwide and you're founded in Ireland, not in the US. (laughs) And again, that's maybe a little bit of US centric thinking, but I was like, Oh my God. So please explain a little more about the scale of RD. It's like any big family. It's complicated. So we, the supply chain solutions platform actually did start in Ireland. We were going back 35 years. We started supporting at that stage. A lot of the big tech companies had their manufacturing locations in Ireland, the likes of Apple, HP, IBM. So we started servicing those companies in Ireland and the company grew from there. And as those companies, as their supply chains evolved and moved, we moved with them. And then we got to a point in as a private company where, you know, we, we were on the radar of some of the big U.S. companies. So we got acquired by a company called Banta back in 95. And then Banta got acquired by RRD in 2007. So that's how an Irish guy and a small Irish group have come to be part of a big U.S. corporation. 
But ORD, you're right. Sorry, Joe. So when you look at the website, it says, I think, four things you guys do. It said marketing, which I was like, what? Marketing? And then it said printing. And I was like, what is this about? I think it said something digital. And then it said supply chain. And I was like, okay. (laughs) And so I was surprised because you don't normally see a company that can take it end to end. You think of logistics is after I've sold it. And you think of marketing and print before I sold it. <laughs> yeah, for ORD, if you go back, most, a lot of people that know the ORD name before supply chain became part of the broader company, it was known for printing phone directories. That's That was one of the core businesses 30, 40 years ago. So there's been a dramatic evolution into these areas. And obviously, marketing is a key area, particularly the move from hard copy to digital but all the services that go around marketing, around client acquisition, how you get the right information, both hard copy and digitally into the hands of the consumer, it's still, it's a rapid growth area for us as we evolved. Printing, still at the core of what we do, both commercial and large-scale printing for the biggest corporations. As you said, most of the Fortune 500 are clients in some form or fashion. And then supply chain is this other kind of service that's evolved out of that kind of print packaging background where we have clients like if you look at tech clients, they used to have a heavy need for print. Now that's with again with digital content that's reduced over time, but that's how they got into supply chain services was that every device requires a printed box that was going retail. It requires an IFU if it's life sciences or medical, it requires print. So our ability to wrap our services around these devices and global supply chains has led to the business we have today. Yep. So talk, let's we'll get back to the life science supply chain in a sec. Tell us a little bit about you, John. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Some career highlights before you got your current gig. Yeah, I've, I'm actually, one, one fact is that I actually, the original company, I came out as an in, intern from university on a mid university program. I did physics in DCU up in Dublin. And on the third year, they had an intern program. And I came down to this small company in Cork, not knowing who they were. And I actually, that's the company I still work for. (laughs) Wow. Sounds like you took a trip around the world before you uh, got back to Ireland. (laughs) It it started as a small company servicing tech and, and it grew rapidly as tech expanded, but also as it moved across the globe, supporting manufacturing and tech. So yeah, I've lived, I I lived in Scotland, I lived in Holland, and then went out to Asia when that really started to take off, lived in Singapore, China, Hong Kong, a bit of time in the US and a bit of time in France. Yeah, a varied career and really enjoyed living, not just going in on like in and out. I've lived and worked in these countries and both from a work and a personal perspective, just a fantastic uh, career to have and supported thankfully by the companies I worked for. Very nice, very nice. So where did you live when you were in the United States? We had a place in Fort Worth wait a long time back, look servicing some of the companies that were there. We're still in Houston. I actually was part of the first I was the first person on the ground for our Houston site back in uh, August nine August two thousand, I think. And it's still going strong today. Uh, yeah, uh, so I'm not too sure whether Texas is still whether, because I, I do know a lot of Texans and um, they like to refer to as the independent Republic of Texas. But, uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So what's one thing you miss about Texas besides the people? Uh, Shinerbach. Oh, the beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know that I've had that, but I'm familiar with it. I, all things Texas. I mean, the weather, except in June, July, and August, fantastic. That's a desert. <laughs> That's a desert over there. That's not for Irish people. 
<laughs> but yeah, no, it's, I still get to go back quite a bit. So uh, a lot of friends there and got to support the Texans for their extended run in the NFL. So but for the first time <laughs> in a long time. Yes, excellent, excellent. So we want to talk today about the the life science supply chain. So what is life science? Please explain, give us a sense for what that all in, entails. Yeah, life science is an umbrella term for everything to do, mainly in the healthcare space. What we focus on, we deal with some of the world's leading manufacturers of med devices. So like an example of a med device, if you think of a, a diabetic use and what they use, a blood glucometer is how they measure their blood sugar levels. And diabetes is prevalent, unfortunately, the world over. Using those meters basically to test your blood sugar levels is critical to your health, right? And so what we do is we manage supply chains for med devices, the likes of blood glucometers across the globe. So from manufacturing, which can be in Asia, China, all the way through completion, distribution, and shipping that out to the the end channels, be it in North America, Europe, or, or in Asia. So that's the core of the life sciences, but we also support a lot of you look at the payers in the US in terms of what they need around both diagnostics devices for their members. We can provide all types of services and getting those products in the hands of of their members. So there's a couple of different elements to it. Yeah, that's where the packaging and marketing comes in. So you can be that total partner because when you start talking about payers and getting in that involvement, that's again, it's far as much higher than the average third-party logistics company can play. And that's why I, I, that's why we called it supply chain, because it is much deeper than logistics, not to <laughs> make logistics small. But um, you mentioned the medical devices. I have this whoop thing on my, on my wrist. I got it as a gift and it tells me how I slept and it tells me how I recovered from yesterday and um, the level of strain I'm doing at the gym or going for a walk or being stressed out. And it occurs to me that I'm walking around, I wear glasses when I'm doing the podcast and I have this and more and more we're connecting ourselves to things that make our lives better. And my mother has a pacemaker now and my neighbor got a pacemaker and I've started thinking, yeah, we're slowly becoming more and more, man, those are requirements. That's if you want to live a long life and your heart starts to give out, you get a pacemaker. And it occurs to me that this is just the beginning and anything that goes, now it's one thing to wear a whoop on my wrist. It's a whole nother thing when you start talking about measuring blood sugar or a pacemaker or any other life-saving equipment or diagnostic tool or drug. So it's the bar is getting higher and higher. And as soon as you have some money, any country that has money, all of a sudden the next thing you want is we want health. Yeah, absolutely. And where diagnostics are is going, is it's incredible, right? If you, you talk about your watch and your phone, but even some of the, the companies we're dealing with now, how phones will be are getting used now, but how they're evolving in terms of quite complex medical systems. So if you have an implant, an example being neuromodulation, pacemakers, your phone is going to become this conduit where you can see what's going on, but more importantly, your doctor or clinician can also see what's going on. So it's this connected healthcare platform using these devices that are they're evolving so rapidly in what they can do. I did a podcast a few years ago with a guy, and he was working on routing doctors and nurses and med techs, orderlies, to homes. So more and more, we're seeing the old-fashioned doctors visit people in the homes. And the name of the podcast was Hospital in the Home. 
which is a concept that I guess John Hopkins and many other leading universities are saying, this is the future. And you can check in to the hospital and be seen by all the same staff. Now you're not going to have surgeries at your house. You're not going to have procedures at your house, but your recouping can be at the house. And we're getting older and older. And as the baby boomers get older, we're not going to want to have them in the hospital for three weeks. No one goes to the hospital for three weeks unless you get hit by a truck. (laughs) Um, We usually are in and out pretty quick. And I think people are are recovering better at home. So I see so much future for this stuff. It's like few, very few good things came up from COVID, right? But one of the things, that, which is, if you actually think about it, is quite incredible, is that if you go back four years ago, would healthcare companies have trusted individuals to test themselves in a home environment? And the answer yep. was generally no, they wouldn't. But now today, <laughs> post-COVID, that trust the people, home tests, home diagnostics is nearly a norm. And it's just a sea change in terms of and people doing that so it's a whole different world i think in terms of home tests diagnostics and and healthcare we never wanted to do the telehealth either and i think that was somewhat to do with the way our insurance and medicine is set up here so the doctor couldn't bill you for a phone call or a zoom call but he could bill you if you came to his office how many times have you been sick where you're like why do i have to drag myself to the damn doctor just call me in a prescription, right? So yeah, the, the changes that are happening and need to happen because I think most of the, anyone listening is saying, yeah, our whatever country you're list, listening from, you're saying our healthcare system is screwed up. It's not John's fault. They're doing the right things. <laughs> We're going to get there. So why do companies hire companies like yours? Why do they, why work with IRD? Because this is my first thought, John. This is life-saving this is exacting. This is life and death. A lot of people in logistics think their stuff is life and death, but it's not. Your stuff is literally life and death. Why would somebody outsource something so critical to uh, health and safety? I think there's a couple of reasons. One, obviously, there has to be, there's a heavy, when you deal with big med companies, there has to be a heavy trust factor that you can do and that you back that trust up in terms of experience so it's just in when it comes to med device and particularly the man assembly and all that goes around that in terms of regulatory and compliance experience is the thing that counts um and we have as our company has a 20 years experience in terms of dealing with med devices globally and the kind of supply chains around med device so that's absolutely key, but also it's in the systems that go around how you track, measure, report as you move med devices through a supply chain. Uh, one of the things that we were able to do as we our business started in tech and tech was heavy focused around, look, how do we take inventories out? How do we lean supply chains out? If you go back 15, 20 years ago, med device supply chains were more were not worried about inventory levels. They were worried about just quality and getting good product. So we were able to bring our systems in to help start to lean out med device, but also give better transparency, better visibility on reporting. So that system side that sits under the regulatory and compliance that we can bring becomes the trust factor. That means that look, companies want to deal with RRD and our supply chain solutions in delivering their product. So you mentioned nearshoring earlier on here. When you say nearshoring, so... When I think of nearshoring in the United States, we would nearshore something, maybe bring some manufacturing back from China or Asia somewhere, most likely China, and move it to Mexico. Now, 
how does RRD get involved? Are you guys doing actual manufacturing? Yeah, we do. It's now at different levels of manufacturing. What we do, it's mainly around product completion. But so if you step back in terms of nearshoring, you know what that means? You go back 20 years, we talked about it earlier, where there was a, a, a rush to go low cost, and that generally meant China and Asia. But what's happened is obviously demand in market has really changed dramatically in terms of people want more customization. They want it quicker. The Amazon effect where I want it in hours, not days. So the two are diametrically opposed because to satisfy demand, you'd have to have either a lot of inventory in region of every variation, or you have high expedite costs in getting your product out of Asia into the market. So nearshoring is this niche where you can bring generic componentry or product in and then do the customization completion right next to the market. So the time, the lead time is compressed. The ability to be flexible and adaptable is obviously much higher. So you can change things pretty quickly. And that that plays really nicely into the life sciences space because when it comes to life sciences, when they are actually getting the print and packaging that goes around their device, that's actually something that requires regulatory approval. So by doing it near shore, it actually allows you to do that much tighter to launch windows. So again, more flexibility. So near shoring makes sense for a lot of sectors, but particularly I think for life sciences, it's really started to play out. We, all of our facilities, it's mainly now life sciences businesses in our near shore facilities. Yeah. When I think about COVID, and again, I haven't said that word in a minute, but it, you, you've made a good point that we've learned some things from COVID. And one of the things we learned was, for the most part, our supply chains were pretty resilient, for the most part. They were brittle in certain places. We didn't starve to death, for the most part. But if your medical equipment was being manufactured somewhere in Asia, most likely China, it, and it was supposed to come to the U.S., it could have very easily been stuck a mile out in the Pacific Ocean. And then once it got ashore, it might have stayed another month. It might have been lost. And if that was going to save your loved one's life and it was somewhere lost in the supply chain, obviously a bad thing. Now, moving it to Mexico, there is no <laughs> no such – we have a border, but we can drive <laughs> over the border. It's a lot easier. So that gives, as you said, more resiliency, more flexibility. And I think – Sometimes we over over give the government too much credit. I was under the impression prior to COVID that there was some sort of strategic supply of PPE and uh, ventilators and all sorts of medicines that they would quickly say, oh, it's stored in around six warehouses around the U.S. We found out, no, that wasn't the case. We could not get PPE into this country and then when it started showing up, it came in such volume that for months after, everyone kept calling me and saying, would you like to buy PPE? I was like, I'm a podcaster. Why do I need PPE? But they were, everybody was trying to sell it. And my daughter is a, was a purchasing person. And she found out, she worked for a vaccine company then. She found out that all the PPE that she needed was manufactured, of all places, Wuhan, China. <laughs> but she bought through distributors who never would say where we got it because they don't want you going around them. So we learned some lessons during COVID. And I'm assuming you guys, you probably already knew some of those lessons. You're probably ahead of that curve a little bit. But how has that changed the world for RRD? 
I think you said, I think everybody, it's, and part of it, it's predicting things is getting tougher and tougher. Definitely COVID, how could anyone predict the pandemic? But even more regular events, you have weather events, you see the wars now, which unfortunately are just seem to become part and parcel of the, the world that we live in. And it's not going to change. And it, it affects supply chains globally. And COVID obviously was a major impactor. And I think there's been there's a lot of benefits that have come out of the learnings around COVID. And I think one of them, as you said, is this, there is critical components, critical things that the items that need to be stocked by government. And that's now becoming, I think, the norm. But yeah, the learnings out of COVID for us has been really that cementing of nearshore and what it means for our clients, the ability to get product in rapidly, the ability to give them the flexibility that if they need to move out of Asia, China or wherever, and they can do it near a region. So yeah, it's, it's given, there's a lot of benefits, I think, post pandemic now around how supply chains are set up. And I think for me, it's, and it's, the word is used, it's about resilience of supply chains. It's never one size makes sense. You have, it's the options and flexibilities of, of global supply chains is now what makes the most sense. Yeah. And by the way, um, before we hit record, I mentioned that I just did a podcast that was called Drone, Drought, Drones and Delays. And it was talking about the, the things going on in Suez Canal, the Houthis using inexpensive drone technology to disrupt the Suez Canal, where 12% of global trade goes through. Panama Canal, we have the drought. It's 5 or 6% of global trade goes through that, and we're very much delayed. I can't do anything. And you mentioned weather events. I can't necessarily predict or do anything about that other than have a supply chain that is flexible. So I have to be able to say, I move that from receiving it in LA or Long Beach. Now I'm going to receive it in Houston or Virginia or somewhere in Canada, but I'm going to receive it. I, I can't have that brittle supply chain. And we did it for a long time. We said, you would sometimes even hear people say, we've been doing it the same way for 20 years, the same lane from China to here and never did anything different until COVID made us realize we have to really open up our minds on and build some flexibility into these supply chains because the demand is there and we know we can do it. Yeah, and it's the kind of be- one of the, the great things about the solution. And again, we talk a bit about the Mexico, the Mequiladora, but we do this in Central Europe as well, is where you have these completion facilities so you can move everything in at a generic level. And then what ORD can do is we can produce the packaging, we can produce the IFUs, the print that go around your device. What's IFU? IFU is instruction for use. So that in any med device or anything that's that's a controlled component, uh, product, you'll have an IFU. And that's basically not a get out of jail, but it basically lists all the do's and don'ts. And it is a critical controlled component as part of any med device. Yep. So we can print all that, put it together and deliver it in a really short time. But also having it all there right next to you, you can change your IFU, you can change your packaging, you can kind of lit you don't have to run long long run sizes you can do it more based on demand it gives much more flexibility to move your generic devices into customized products and into the regions so it's more flexible and that's a good option for life science companies yeah you, you, it reminds me almost of automotive assembly plants where they don't make all the components but they receive them and they're responsible for the finished product and that it, oftentimes in Asia, that is contract manufacturers doing that final. So you guys are, in effect, a contract manufacturer, contract assembly. But what's interesting is, again, 
the packaging and the instructions are so important in this. This is not, you're, you're moving to a low cost country, but the expectations are managed by federal regulations. So you must be uh, knowledgeable fed regs in every country, I'm assuming. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know what? The one thing that you can be sure of about regulations, be it federal or be it European, is they will change. They're growing, changing. <laughs> we look at one of the most, the recent ones that's taken a couple of years to take shape is UDI. So every medical device has to be uniquely identified. So that's, again, where a trusted partner with the systems can come in and help companies in the life science space make sure that their product hits their eggs and compliance. And it, it'll continue to evolve and change. So you need somebody that's experienced, somebody that understands it, and somebody that can deliver solutions around the changing regs. I'm going to ask some very basic questions here. Maybe you can, if I get in the deep end, push me back in the shallow, John. I, I think medical equipment, the way it's bought is very different than other products because it's usually the doctor said, I want to use this equipment with my patient. So we've had for a long time, this has been in the, I'm thinking of the US, doctor driven. And from what I understand, some hospitals would say, oh yeah, we have 10 different doctors who are picking seven different devices that we use. So there is no sense of best practice until recently where the hospital chains are getting large enough where they're starting to say, we as a team, doctors get, put your heads together and let's agree to a best practice, one of these products, and then let's drive that across our entire hospital chain. And I think that's going to lower our cost because I keep hearing that's got to be a driver for a lot of what we're talking about because our healthcare costs here in the U.S. are very high. We hear all the time that uh, people go bankrupt because of their healthcare costs, but people are willing to. If you're, you're going to die, why not spend your money on your health, right? health and loved one. What we've seen definitely in the US in particular, group Pert, there has been a lot of efficiency. If you go back five, 10 years, I think there was a lot of this doctor wants this doctor wants that. But I think group purchasing has definitely driven better, not maybe not best, but better practice into supply chains. But I do think the switch, and we talked about it at the start, to the home diagnostics where actually the patient or the consumer themselves is now making educated decisions and not just going through clinics, doctors, particularly around the uh, non-controlled devices. Obviously, some doctors have to make the decision. So I, I think it's changed. I think there's definitely better purchasing practices around some of those core devices, but also at-home diagnostics drives better behavior, but it also, it's preventative as well at lot of the home diagnostics. So what, you're, that, what, what that means for healthcare costs, if you have less people getting sick, that's the biggest cost in healthcare. It's interesting. I mentioned I have this Whoop thing, and a lot of people I know have Apple Watches, and this kind of has the same functions. But recently, I had um, a friend of a friend who I know. He's probably 80 years old. He never married, never had kids. Good, great guy. But he lives by himself, and no one heard from him for a few days. So finally, somebody said, I should go over. He had a heart attack or something. He was in the hospital for three months. Three months. Now, part of it was the regular hospital, then to off to, I don't know, rehab. And I was thinking a lot of that was because he didn't have a simple Apple watch that was connected to some, someone else or something else. And I keep thinking anyone who lives alone, who's of a certain age, should have something that connects them 
to, I don't know, some sort of emergency service. So I think it used to be the, I've fallen and I can't get down, can't get up lady with the, the medical device, but I think it's going to be very sophisticated. I think if he had just seen a doctor the day before, because his watch said something's wrong, probably could have saved him three months of agony and cost, the cost had to be enormous for him being in the hospital and rehab all that time. So I think we can drive our costs down significantly. We get to that prevention, which is back to the home diagnostics, personal equipment that we can wear, and also start to look at the supply chain a little differently and make this a little more efficient for everybody. Anyway, John, I wanted to talk to you about some other things here. So when companies come to RRD, they're coming to you and there's what is the problem that they have that they say, I'm finally returned John's call. We need to do something with you guys. What's the problems they describe that you guys are going to solve for them? I think a lot of the problems they have, well, firstly, that supply chains are, it's taking too long to get the product to market, that they have the wrong variety of product in the market. They were trying to judge demand months back down the, the supply lead time and the flexibility is not there. And also they don't have the ability to change things because of the regulatory compliance and systems that you need when you open a box and you change a label on, on, a, on a medical device. So they have very inflexible supply chains with high inventories. So what we can bring is a kind of dramatic change in terms of what their supply chain looks like, lean it out on the manufacturing side, and then set up product completion centers. But not these product completion centers there's a couple of different elements to it. Firstly, we can bring around your device the design and creative around the actual package itself. So we can work with the companies around, look, what type of box package setup makes most sense for your product in the market, but also makes most sense for your product in terms of its manufacturability or its assembly. So taking cost out. And then we can produce that print package in our facilities and then move it into our completion locations where we build the product out. But then there's more layers to it than that as well, because these completion locations, while they're basically near shore, they're in lower cost locations, costs everywhere are rising. So what we bring as an added component to the solution is the the area of automation. So one area we've invested heavily in, which is slightly against kind of some of the trends in lower cost, where it's all about just put labor on it and it's cheaper and we'll get it out. We have quite heavy automation around our product completion and our packaging. So what you'll see in our facilities now is a high degree of automation on the actual final boxing and completion. But basically it goes against that inflation piece, which we see everywhere in, in mainstream economies, but also in, you see it across Mexico, you see it in Central Europe, inflation is not going away in the short term. Yep. Yep. So I like it. So you, you're you going to do a better job on inventory management. You're going to lower their costs. You're going to be, of course, meeting fed regs and all the compliance required. You're going to get much more flexibility. So if they have a, a change in the supply chain or then the product, you're like, we can quickly make those changes where previously they might not be able to. Then again, overall, you're going to lower that cost. There's also the softer, not so much softer benefits because these are becoming priority actions around environment, carbon footprint, freight, and heavy freight is really not a good thing. But also said social responsibility is a big part of what a lot of our blue chip clients want. They want to make sure you treat your employees right. They're working in the right conditions, under the right contracts, the right hours. All of these factors 
come together, right, in terms of providing the perfect solution for big companies in the life sciences space. Yep. And when you mentioned the nearshoring, so I think of the United States, we're a settler country, so we'll always have immigration, legal or, or illegal, as it turns out. But so we're not going to have maybe some of the same challenges that some parts of Europe have with a, such a declining birth rate. But if we look next door to Mexico, they're much younger. And so we can take advantage of, we might not, even if you say, forget cost for a moment, you might not be able to find the labor here. We're finding that more and more. And I often say, <clears throat> who is raising children who will drive the trucks, who will work in the warehouses, who will assemble the products when we have fewer and fewer children? But on top of that, they're wealthier and better educated than previous generations. We're going to have to use automation and we're going to have to use um, other countries. And again, Mexico, I was just down in Mexico for COVID using tons of automation in the facilities I was at. So it's not just, we can't start looking at the world as though that's, I don't look at Mexico and say that's the third world. That is a successful, wealthy country that is advancing and everyone there has expectations for a better life too. And, and absolutely. And it's, you look at it, it's not just, obviously Mexico is a really nice component to the solution, but we also have right in region solutions. So some things you can't, you, you have to do in regions. So we talked about Texas and Houston. We have big a big facility in Houston, a big facility up in Wisconsin that does the things that have to be done in region. You just can't cross a border to do them, right? So it's about the, having a, the right mix and the right balance in your supply chain versus what you need. And that's, again, what we can bring from the, the hybrid solution of nearshore and onshore. So what's, a, I know Mexico would be, and not just Mexico, also Latin America, because I don't want to miss them, all of Latin America, so South America. We think of those as low cost here, not so much Canada. Canada is the same cost as us or higher. In Europe, what would be some of the low cost countries there that you guys would do uh, work in? Well, we were, as part of our tech move many years ago, we moved into, we're in Poland now for, I think, heading for nearly 20 years. We're in the Czech Republic and we're in Hungary. So there, if you go way back, they would have been known as Eastern Europe. It's now Central Europe. So we've, and there's a nice mix there because you have the logistics center of gravity that they can feed into the road and rail networks across Europe. But also you have very experienced people and the education, particularly the technical education in those countries was, was top notch. So you have the, a really nice balance of you have lower labor costs, you have the experience, the education, and you have the logistics center of gravity. So those countries have worked really well for us. And then what we've seen is from further east, we're seeing some uh, on the labor side. And it's, again, it's important in the Ukraine war, but there's, there's up, you know, three or four million, I think, Ukrainians now in Poland as well. So it's helping feed in terms of kind of the, the labor supply there in, in, in the short term. But even before that, there was a flow from further east into Poland, Czech and Hungary. And we were able to utilize that type of uh, labor supply. But the labor in Europe is, a, I think, an even bigger issue. It's becoming more and more constrained. So again, automation, a big part of that solution as we go forward. I think, John, also, I've said this on my podcast before, we're going to have to start looking at the um, assembly and the factory floors and say that is a step in the, or warehouse, that's the first step in a job in a supply chain career. So we need to start advancing those people. If so, it's hard to convince a young person, hey, go walk around in this factory all day and lift heavy things and you'll do it for the next 40 years. It's a lot easier if you say, get in that job and there's upward mobility and you're going to be using the top technologies 
automation, robotics, all that stuff. And there's a career in this for you. That's a lot better pitch. And I think people will flock to that compared to you're a strong back and you can walk around five, seven miles a day. <laughs> that is not a good pitch for most people. Yeah, and definitely you see it when we look at when we look at key positions, the internal people are always generally having been at the coal face and gives them great experience in how customers work, where the problems are, and definitely moving people up through our organization has been really beneficial for us and on some of the key positions. So I'm gonna I'm gonna summarize this the best I can because we've gone all over, talked about a lot of stuff. By the way, I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile, a link to your website, and any other links you and your marketing team give me. I'll put those in the show notes so people can reach out and talk to you. But we're talking to John Merrow about the life science supply chain. And again, the bar is so much higher on the life science stuff because it's healthcare, it's medical devices, it's diagnostics, it's stuff that's going to save lives. This literally is life and death. So we talked about the importance of managing inventory well, managing that, having that inventory close to the end consumer. Overall, the cost pressures, we have to lower the cost. Of course, we always have to meet the Fed regs and the compliance. Uh, you can't lower the cost and say, oh, I lowered the cost and it no longer met the compliance. Not acceptable. We need flexible supply chains. We found we we're just a tad brittle during COVID. We need that stuff to be close to the consumer, again, resiliency, and overall, we just need better supply chains. And again, I don't think most logistics companies out there are even capable of this kind of partnership because they don't have the scale or the expertise in this kind of thing. I, I, I'm, that's why we call this supply chain. And again, I think it does you guys a disservice to glob you into logistics at this one minute. <laughs> Final thoughts, John Merrill. I think the only thing that you can predict is that things are going to become even more unpredictable, right? Flexibility in supply chains is absolutely critical. And I think it's companies like ourselves, again, you factor in the trust factor. When you look at MedDevice, we're the last company, the last touch point for our customers' products. The next touch point is the patient or the end user. So again, that is a huge trust to place in companies like us. And it's... Uh, probably a selling point we don't use too much but it's it is a key factor in why you should you know you can use someone like ourselves and trust someone like ourselves so things are, are going to get even more volatile companies like ourselves that can give you what you need and also the trust levels of supply chain and the resilience i think you know it's absolutely critical for companies in in this space and um happy to talk to anybody that wants to talk to us Excellent. Again, I put a link to your LinkedIn profile, link to, although you don't seem to be on LinkedIn very much, but I'll put that link in anyway. <laughs> I'll put a link to your website, any of the links you and your marketing team give me. And what conferences will we see the fine folks from RRD at? I'm assuming everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> All of the key medic. I think the MDNM is the next one up. Wait, what is that? MDNM. I, I, we can get, we'll get you the, in the notes, we can get you the links to the, the conferences that we're attending. Our marketing group have a long list and we'll get links into our website, www.rrd.com. If you click on services, you come across supply chain and the life sciences. It's two or three clicks and you're there. And yeah, absolutely. We'd love to talk to you. Very impressive. Very impressive. John, thank you so much for coming on and talking to me today. Thank you very much, Joe. Really appreciate the opportunity. You're most welcome. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. 
You have been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage with leaders in the logistics and supply chain community. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, hit the like button, and leave us a nice review on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you listen. Also, please check out our videos on YouTube and connect with us on LinkedIn. We're very big on LinkedIn. And you can also reach us on the logisticsoflogistics.com, our website.